Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. Uh, as I've mentioned uh, numbers of times before, many of you know, before I was in ministry, I used to be in the military. And I remember when I was doing my recruit training, that some of the stuff that we used to do was to go out into the field and camp out for a number of nights. The first time that we had to do that uh, just happened to be in the middle of winter. It was absolutely freezing, it was raining, everything was cold and wet. Um, but we were going to spend three nights out in the bush, uh, not in tents and not in dorms, but literally just lying on the ground with a small individual tarp just to keep the rain off. And before we went out for this uh, exercise, they issued us with our field kit. I've got a bit of a, a photo up here just to show you some of the items that might be in it. Like, so we had all these different items that would be in our field kit. There was like a rucksack, a sleeping bag, water bottles, cooking equipment, utensils. I think there was some you know, camouflage paint in there, compasses, and a bunch of different other things. And they gave that to us because they're like, this is what you need to be able to survive out in the bush. And so we took all our equipment and uh, we packed it all up and we headed out there. And so we stayed out there for three nights. And as you can imagine, in the middle of winter where it's cold and wet, by the time we got to the third day, our stuff, which was brand new only a few days before, was now totally trashed. Like our sleeping bags were all wet, uh, um, cooking utensils or, and, and, and water bottles and all that were all gritty with dirt and uh, even our boots were just full of mud. And, and I remember on the third morning that, they woke us up super early. I reckon it was like 5 a.m. It was still dark outside. And they just start yelling at us to pack all our stuff as quickly as possible and then line up in marching formation. And because uh, they told us we we're going to march for 10 Ks uh, with all this stuff on our back back to the barracks. And so we just start grabbing everything and shoving it in our backpacks and, and we line up and then we march back. It takes us quite a while. It takes us a number of hours to get back to uh, where we're staying and uh, we finally get back there. And by the time we get there, like we're just absolutely exhausted. You know, we just wanna have a shower, have something to eat and then, you know, have a sleep. Uh, but of course, that wasn't the case. <laughs> They're not that nice. And so uh, that what they said was, we, now, before you do anything, we want you to get all your kit, all your field kit back out, lay it on the ground and we're gonna inspect it. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like you were out there with us, you know that our stuff's just filthy. You know, we haven't had a chance to, to clean it or anything and you're gonna inspect it, but they were dead serious. I thought, you know, they're, surely they're just messing with our mind. They used to do stuff like that all the time to us, but they were serious and they started to go through the items and they pick it up one by one and they're like, you know, this is filthy, this isn't clean, this isn't hygienic. And I'm like, like, what's going on here? And I came to realise that they were very serious about how we looked after what we had been given. You see, they realized that if we neglected our equipment, if we neglected what we had been given, that ultimately the mission would be compromised. You know, in the New Testament, we come across a man by the name of Timothy. If you're unfamiliar with Timothy, Timothy was a, a ministry companion of the Apostle Paul. And he traveled with Paul on some of his ministry trips. And uh, Paul had a relationship with Timothy in that he called him his spiritual son. In fact, he said in 1 Timothy 1-2 that he was his true son in the faith. At the time of their ministering together, Timothy was a, a teenager, maybe 
early 20s at most. And yet Paul recognised that there was an incredible call of God upon his life. Uh, So much so that he made him his representative in a number of churches and he set him up as actually the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So after ministering for some time together, they end up parting ways. Uh, Timothy stays in one place and Paul goes off to minister in other places. But because of his relationship with Timothy, he still continued to contact him and encourage him through letters. One of the letters that he wrote for Timothy is in two, is we know is to Timothy. And in that letter, he records this, 2 Timothy 1, verse five to seven. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame. Paul's reminding Timothy that God had already gifted him with everything he needed to carry out his mission successfully, but his responsibility was not to neglect it, but to fan it into flame. In the King James Bible, that phrase, fan into flame, is the phrase stir up. And it means to rekindle, to revive the spark of. Paul's saying to Timothy, whatever you do, do not let your fire die out. Don't neglect what God has given you. Don't just go through the motions when it comes to your relationship with God, but do all you can to keep the passion of your heart burning for Jesus. Fan it into flame. Rekindle it. Refire it. Revive it because your God-given mission depends upon it. So just like Timothy, you and I, we've been called to a life of serving others too. It might look differently to Timothy, but ultimately that is our mission to reach as many people as possible with the love of Jesus. And just like Timothy, we too have been equipped with everything we need to carry that mission out. He's equipped us with spiritual gifts. God's equipped us with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's equipped us with a measure of faith. But just like my field kit, And just like Paul encouraged Timothy, it's our responsibility to not neglect or take for granted what we've been given, but to fan it into flame, to steward it so that it can have maximum effect for the kingdom of God, amen? You know, it's interesting that Paul would feel the need to have to encourage Timothy with this. Maybe he felt to do so because he sensed, perhaps like Josh was talking about last week, that maybe Timothy had, had drifted a little. Maybe the fact that he wasn't uh, walking side by side with Paul in his ministry trip, that they were apart. Maybe that distance had, had caused Timothy to lose a little bit of accountability and he started to drift. 
Maybe the fact that Paul wasn't right there by his side as an example for Timothy to glean off of had caused him to just lose a little bit of his edge and his passion for the things of God. Maybe he just let life get on top of him. He got a little bit of, bit apathetic. Maybe he'd had some disappointments in his ministry and it caused him to pull back a little bit. And so before he could drift too far, Paul sought to encourage him to not let the fire inside of him die out. I wonder if there may be some of you in this room today. If you were to think back to past years, you would recognise that there were seasons where you were so on fire for God that literally nothing else mattered. You just wanted to pursue Him above everything else. You were the first one to respond to every altar call. When the preacher said, who will stand in the gap? You put up your hand and said, I will. When the worship leader said, send me, I will go. You were like singing it with all your might. You're like, send me, I'll go anywhere, God. Send me to the worst place, I'm ready to go. You are so on fire for God. You're ready to let go of everything if it meant you could get more of Him. But then somewhere along the way, life happened. You can't even really pinpoint it. You can't even really put your hands on it. But somewhere along the journey, you just woke up one morning and you realised that you've drifted. You've drifted away. You used to be the first one to respond, but now you rarely rock up. You used to love spending time with God, but now it's like, I don't have any time. You used to get excited for the opportunity to use a spiritual gift, but now you're questioning if you still have that gift. And you keep telling yourself, hey, this is the week it's gonna change. Next week, I'm gonna put this, this in place. I'm gonna reorder things. This is the year that we're gonna go after it. But if you're honest, you're still in the same place. Can I tell you, church, it's time to fan ourselves into flame. It's time to fan ourselves in the plane. You know, there's, there's, two types, there's two types of people that the enemy loves to find. The first type of people is those who don't know Jesus. See, the thing is, he knows that Jesus is real. He knows that Jesus is alive. He knows that Jesus can save your life, move you from death to life. He knows it, but he does everything possible to hide it so that people can't find it. But the second type of person that the enemy hopes to find is someone who knows Jesus. Someone who knows Jesus has, and has been blessed with everything they need to carry out the mission that He's given them, but never fans it into flame. He hopes to find that person because that person isn't a threat. That person will struggle to do something significant for the kingdom of God or reach those that God has called them to reach. Can I encourage you? Maybe, maybe you'd think, well, Tony, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable where I am. You don't really feel I need to fan into flame anything else. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And, and I get that. That might be the case. But what if it's not just about you? 
What if it's about those around you? What if it's about the impact that it'll make on the lost, on the dying, on those who are unsaved, who are yet to know that Jesus is alive? Who you ever been on a roller coaster? I uh, last time I went on a roller coaster was about eight years ago. I was in Toronto, Canada, in uh, Wonderland. And uh, they had a roller coaster there. And I don't know what happened to me because I went on that roller coaster and, and something must have changed at a certain age, but I came off that roller coaster and I wasn't doing too good. <laughs> I used to be able to go on, the, on all sorts of things and I'd be fine, but I, I did not feel good. And uh, for, you know, I had to sit down for quite a while. I felt a little off and that was the first ride I went on for that day. So it was a good start. Um, but I remember when I was young, I remember when I'd never been on a roller coaster before. When I was much younger, my family went to Queensland. We went on a holiday there and uh, we went to Dreamworld. And uh, they have a roller coaster there too. I can't remember the, the name exactly, but I remember as a kid looking at it thinking, wow, this is like huge. And I was a little nervous. But I was seeing all these people get off the roller coaster and they were like really excited. And they were like happy and they were laughing and they were talking about how they wanted to just go on it again. And I'm like, well, you know, if they think it's so cool, I'm gonna try it out for myself. And I went on this roller coaster and I'm like, this is amazing. I just kept going and going and my brothers went on it with me and at the end of the day, we just kept going around. It was so cool. I loved it. Now, I wanna ask you a question. If you have never been on a roller coaster before and you were a little nervous about it, which version of me would encourage you the most to try it out for yourself? Would it be the version of me that got off and was feeling a little unwell and looking a little green and had to sit down and say, I'm never doing that again? Or was it the version of me that got off and like, that was amazing. Oh, I can't wait to do that again. That was awesome. You see, when you lose, when we lose our passion and excitement for God, when we let the fire of our heart for the things of God die out, it affects our witness, which ultimately impacts our mission for the kingdom of God. If we're not excited, if we're not excited about the things of God, if we're not fanning ourselves into flame, then why would anyone around us be excited about God? You know, in the past, when you would go to the store and you had to buy an appliance, let's say, in the past, years ago, before the internet, you would go into the store and you would, uh, the salesperson would be there and they would be the expert. They would tell you about all the different products and which one was best for you and you would take their advice and you would buy that product. But now the shopping experience is very different because the internet's come in. We've done all of that research before we even go to the store. And so we go into the store instead of the salesperson telling us what we need, we tell them what we want and how much we wanna pay for it, right? Now, one of the reasons for that, one of the reasons that's been very helpful is product reviews. You know, you go online, you look up a review, whether it's for a product or a restaurant or a hotel or something like that. And it's usually, you know, they rank it out of five stars and then they give a little bit of a comment about their experience with something that they've, pre they've previously purchased. I've got a couple of examples for you um, that I found. For example, here it is, a banana slicer. It says, uh, get two out of five stars. It says, I tried a banana slicer and found it unacceptable. As shown in the picture, the slicer is curved from left to right. All of my bananas are bent the other way, all right? 
two out of five stars. Here's the next one. Beds should look like beds. One out of five stars. I ordered this when I was drunk because I thought it was a giant ice cream sandwich. It's not, it's a bed. Not the $150 ice cream sandwich I wanted, right? Here's the next one. I love this one. Titan casket. Five stars, no complaints from grandpa, right? Five out of five. You can take it down. <laughs> now, normally, not those ones, but normally product reviews are very powerful. The reason they're very powerful is because they can influence our purchasing habits. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I have intended to purchase a particular product or go to a particular hotel or restaurant, and I, I was fully prepared to go and spend my money on it. Then I read a couple of reviews, and it changed my mind. And I went somewhere else. So why am I telling you this? I don't know. You figure it out. Tell me next week. No, I'm kidding. Maybe the kids can join me. I'm telling you this because whether you realize it or not, you and I, we are walking product reviews of how awesome Jesus is. And so one of the reasons why we need to fan ourselves into flame and keep the fire of our heart burning for Jesus is because our willingness to put God first, to passionately pursue Him above everything else, says to those around us that God is worth pursuing. That He's impacted our life so much, so dramatically that He's worth giving everything for. You know, we need, to, we need others to know that Jesus wasn't just some good man who lived a few thousand years ago, that He wasn't just a carpenter or the, the son of Mary and Joseph. He was the Son of God. He was the Saviour of the world. He was the one who can turn your life around, take it from death to life, give you a hope and a future. But how will they know it unless we display it? You see, we can talk, but you know, a lot of people say a lot of things. And people can see talk as cheap, but when they don't just hear it, but they see it, they see it genuinely in our life. James 2 says that faith without works is dead. It, it should be so in us and so fanned into flame that it affects every part of our life that people can't deny what we've found in Jesus and want to find it for themselves. I remember when I was 22 years old, I walked into a young adult service here at our Paradise Campus. It was out in the youth hall out the back there. And I hadn't been around for a little while because um, I had to actually live in uh, uh, Wagga Wagga for about a year and a half where I did my avionics training there. So I'd just come back and, you know, if I was to honest, my, my relationship with God, had, I grew up in church, but it, it had drifted. I wasn't really, you know, passionately pursuing God. I was just sort of going through the motions. And I walked into that young adult service and I must have been a little bit late because the worship had already started. And I saw these young adults down the front with their hands raised, worshiping God. And as I was looking through the crowd, I happened to notice someone that I knew, his name was Mark. I hadn't seen him for quite a while and I 
hadn't spoke to him for quite a long time, but I noticed him. And the reason I noticed him is because I can only describe it like this, that he was worshipping God with everything he had in him. And as I saw him worshipping God that way, I got to tell you, it left an impression on me. It it did something to me. It, It said to me in that moment, wow, he must have found something in Jesus that is causing him to react in that way. I wanna find that in Jesus too. In that moment, he became a walking product review of how awesome Jesus is to me. And now one of my favourite moments in our service is to worship. If you see my son Liam, he loves to worship. But because someone was willing to fan into flame their heart and their passion for God, it impacted me and now it's impacting other generations. As far back as I can remember, I remember when I was a kid living at home and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd walk out into the kitchen area and the dining table and and I'd see my dad there with his Bible open and his notepad. He'd been in the Word of God for a couple of hours before I'd woken up. And and I'd see him there and, you know, he still does that today. And as I saw him there, it, it left an impression on me. It left this impression in me that the Word of God is so amazing that it's worth losing sleep over to spend time in. That there was something in it that that he just couldn't get enough of. And because he fanned it into flame, his passion for the Word and for God, it left an impression in me to have a passion for the Word of God too. He became a product review of how amazing the Word of God can be of how valuable it is. See, when Paul instructed Timothy to fan into flame that which God had placed within him, it wasn't just for the benefit of himself, although it certainly would have blessed him, but ultimately it was the benefit, for the benefit of all those he was called to reach. You know, this month, it's called Revival Month. And, you know, often when we think about revival, our mind tends to go to waiting for God to do something. It's like we're praying, we're begging, we're like, God, come on, move. We're waiting for God to do something external, to move in a particular way. But what if, what if the revival we're hoping for that would see many hearts turn back to God, that would see many people seek after God is just a decision to fan ourselves into flame away. What if we've already have it inside of us? We're praying for a Bible. God said, I've already given you everything you need. Just fan it into flame. Just fan it into flame. Revive, rekindle, refire the spark that I've put in your heart. Imagine, imagine how on fire the church would be. Who could we reach? Who could we influence? How many could come to know Jesus if we took responsibility to fan into flame our heart for Jesus? You know, a few years ago, I don't know why I was doing this. I probably had some time on my hands, but I was uh, researching ways that you could bring stale bread 
back to life. Stale bread. I don't know why. But I remember as I was looking at this, I was surprised by the answer. This is what it said. How to revive stale bread. Begin by heating the oven to 150 degrees Celsius. Take the whole or partial loaf and run it quickly under running water, just enough to wet the outside. Place the loaf on a, on a baking sheet and heat it in the oven until dry and crusty on the outside, depending on the size and wetness. Basically, it said that the best way to bring stale bread back to life was to put it back in the oven. In other words, to put it back in the environment that first produced it. Maybe today, maybe today, you've been feeling a little stale in your relationship with God. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit dry, a little bit flat in your spirit. Maybe you've lost a little bit of your passion. Well, I believe the best thing that you could do to refresh, to revive, to refire your passion for God is to position yourself back in the environment that initially ignited it. Put yourself back in the presence of God. David wrote in Psalm 42 verse one, he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? See, David knew that the best thing for him, the best thing for his soul was to be where God is, to be in the presence of God. And the same is true for you and I. So fanning ourselves into flame, positioning ourselves continually in the presence of God, is the place where our fire is fueled. It's His presence that fuels the fire of our heart that keeps it burning. And so we're gonna keep finding ways to soak in it and not just on a Sunday. Like this is great, this is amazing and I'm so thankful for this, but we also need to soak in the presence of God each and every day. Find ways so that the fire doesn't get quenched. It doesn't get quenched by the things of life by the negativity that's spoken over us, over the news, over what's happening in the world. But the fire of our heart keeps burning as we keep fueling it with the presence of God. Because God isn't looking for lukewarm. He's not looking for half-baked. He's looking for red hot, full of passion, on fire believers and disciples of Jesus that are ready and say, send me, I'll go. Whatever you need, I'm ready. Use me, God, I'll give it all because you deserve it all. You're so often waiting for something to stir our heart and maybe that's a good excuse for us not being on fire. Instead of, no, it's our responsibility to fan it into flame. All we gotta do is position ourselves in the presence of God, prioritize the presence of God and the fire of your heart will stay alive and it'll bless you, it'll bless your family, bless those around you. Paul knew that there was something special on the inside of Timothy, but he also knew that it was his responsibility to stir it up.
to rekindle, to revive the spark of it so that it could turn into a blazing fire. The same is true for you and I. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past. And His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did, and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.